The following audio is from Story City Church in Burbank, California. Thank you for listening. For more information on Story City, you can find us online at storycitychurch.com or on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Story City Church. Hello. Hi, guys. I'm Bianca Mattern. I've been coming here for about three and a half years. You might recognize me from when we first kicked off the scripture readings. This time I'm doing Matthew 5, 17 through 20. So if you guys can please stand for the reading of God's word. Okay. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. I'm now going to read it in Spanish. No piensen que he venido a anular la ley o los profetas. No he venido a anularlos, sino a darles cumplimiento. Les aseguro que mientras existen el cielo y la tierra, ni una letra ni una tilde de la ley desaparecerán hasta que todo se haya cumplido. Todo el que infrinja uno solo de estos mandamientos, por pequeño que sea, y enseñe a otros a hacer lo mismo, será considerado el más pequeño en el reino de los cielos. Pero el que los practique y enseñe será considerado grande en el reino de los cielos. Porque les digo a ustedes que no van a entrar en el reino de los cielos a menos que su justicia supere a la de los fariseos y de los maestros de la ley. Esta es la palabra de Dios. This is the word of the Lord. All right. Thank you, Bianca. I appreciate that. Excellent job. Well, good morning and welcome to Story City Church. We are so glad that you guys are here, whether you're uh, outside on the lawn watching the TVs, whether you're indoors this morning or whether you're joining us online, we are happy to be celebrating Jesus together. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Jared. I have the privilege of serving as one of your pastors and I am excited to be teaching this morning. The, uh, we say Burbank location because we also have a Granada Hills location. And even though we're meeting together right now, we do have plans to relaunch that. We're excited about that and we are committed to that. And so we, uh, we want to see God lived out in all the cities that, that, uh, that God is reigning over, which is every single one of them. And so we get to be a small part of what God is doing here in Burbank, in Granada, and in Los Angeles in general. Well, the gospel is that God himself has come to rescue and renew all creation through the person and work of Jesus. And as a church family, that means we exist to lead communities into healthy relationships with Jesus and others. That's a really important thing. Now, speaking of relationships, we would like to wish you a Mother's Day filled with peace and joy. That's pretty awesome. We're so thankful for you. I also want to give a very special shout out to our single moms. Can we give them a special recognition this morning? You guys are heroes. Single dads, I didn't forget about you. That's Father's Day. I'll get you then. It's okay. Don't worry about it. Now, for many of us, this is a really nice day to recognize our wives or our moms who uh, we really appreciate, all they sacrifice for our families. But for many of us, this is also a difficult day. 
Some of us long to be mothers, but for whatever reason, that hasn't happened yet. For some of us, our moms are not the kind of moms that you can find a Hallmark card for. Dear mom, congratulations. I like you a little less than last year. Doesn't exactly uh, fly off the shelves. But no matter which group we fall into today as a church, we really can celebrate two things. One, that our mothers had us. I am so thankful that you are here, and I'm really thankful, whatever type of mom you had, that she had you. And so we're thankful for that today. Secondly, the second thing we can thankful, be thankful for is that God loves his children. We have a God in heaven who is both fatherly and motherly at exactly the right times and in the right ways. And so we have a God who is exactly what we need, and we can celebrate that. And so ultimately, like Creeper says from Cholafit, the truth is, the truth is sometimes life is like whatever, Zay. So today, happy Mother's Day. We celebrate it no matter where you're at, <laughs> and we're glad you're here. A couple quick announcements. Uh, we do have a photo booth that's uh, in the lobby up here, so thank you for all of the volunteers that helped that get going, staff and, and volunteers. We appreciate that, and uh, uh, make sure that you check that out if you desire. The second thing is we understand that it can be difficult to find seats indoors, and so if you haven't noticed, for those of you who have been inside, we actually added seats and uh, we did that so that if you would like to find more space around you, please feel free to drop your Bible or your sweater or your purse, whatever, on the seat next to you to create a little space in case you want that for you. Some people are fine with it. Some people aren't. But that way you can kind of control that space. And so we've added those extra chairs so that you can make yourself comfortable on that. Good? All right. That does mean, though, we do have some extra space inside. And so if you're outside and you're like, hey, I really wanted to be inside, there is extra chairs for you this morning and from now on. All right, well, let's pray, and then we're going to, uh, to get into the rest of this this morning. Father, thank you for all that you've done. And uh, Lord, I'm in one of those places where it just, there's just so much going on in my mind right now. I pray that you would help me to uh, just, just slow down and be clear and uh, concise with what you want to preach this morning. Thank you for our prayer team who prayed over this morning. Lord, I'm so grateful for that covering. I need that this morning. I pray that you, would, um, that you would help us to truly hear from you. I pray that you would um, break down walls, that you would, um, Lord, address the lies that we tell ourselves, the lies that other people have spoken over us, the lies that, that we've come to understand. And I pray that you would reveal yourself in ways that help us to know you as the loving, amazing, incredible creator. Thank you for all that you've done. In the name of Jesus, amen. I don't know about you guys, but uh, sometimes the Bible is a little bit difficult to read. Anybody else found that? Okay, only this half of the room. This half of the room is lying. This half of the room is honest. That's okay. Uh, yeah, the Old Testament, right? Exactly. So I, I make it a habit of maybe every other year, I try to read through the, the Bible in its entirety. And it doesn't matter how many times I've done this in my life, I always get bogged down in Deuteronomy, Numbers, Leviticus. I'm like, who begat who? Like, what is a begat? Like, isn't that that French thing that you get, you put butter on? I thought that was a... All right, I'll explain that later in case you need. All right, okay, these are the jokes, people. These are the jokes. <laughs> All right. But there's, there's this tendency, I think, sometimes to be like, why does this matter? Can I just get to the good stuff? Why am I bogged down in Leviticus? Like, what is the point here? And I remember, to my shame, I remember uh, uh, for a long time not understanding how important the Old Testament was. And I remember um, there was a guy that came to me, and he had, uh, me and him had been hanging out, and he comes to know Jesus, and he's super fired up. And just like everybody, not everybody, just like many people do, he's like, I'm going to read the Bible from cover to cover. I can't wait. Yes. 
And he starts off in Genesis and he's like, oh, I'm, this is weird and I'm confused and I don't understand what's happening. And, and I was like, dude, just the Old Testament's a bunch of great stories, but it has nothing to do with the, the New Testament and just, just skip to there. And, and how wrong I was. I really wish I could go back and fix it. It's one of those moments I'm always like, ah, oh, I wish, Lord, why didn't I know better then? Because you really can't understand the New Testament without understanding the Old. And so you have this whole section in Jesus' sermon that talks about the Old Testament. And so it kind of, uh, it, it's one thing for us to say, okay, that was a, that's a great part. We could skip it and move on. Like, okay, that doesn't matter. But to understand Jesus' place and role as he speaks this message is really to understand the whole sermon. It's to understand why he can speak this, why it matters, why he has the ability, the, the, the authority to speak this portion of scripture. And so it's really important for us to kind of wrestle with this. And so if you're taking notes today, this is the first observation for the day. The New Testament makes sense only because of the Old Testament. The New Testament makes sense only because of the Old Testament. They're not standalone. The truth is the Bible is a collection of 66 different books by at least 40 different authors written in three languages on three continents over a period of approximately 2,000 years. And yet somehow it exactly fits together. That's a miracle in and of itself. We could get all of us in the room, this room to write a shared story, say we're going to write on the same topic, and we would all come up with radically different ways of doing it. I guarantee you there's no way they would all fit together. And yes, we have many different languages in this room. Try adding that to it in addition. Together with this common theme, it works together perfectly. It goes hand in hand, and each book sheds light on another. But they can only be truly understood in relation to each other. And so the story of the Old Testament is a love story between God and his creation and his people. It's a story of our treasonous rebellion against God and the death penalty that we earned as a result. But it also points ahead to God's plan to pay that penalty for us. In Genesis, the first book of the Bible, when, when Adam and Eve sinned, death was birthed into this world. This is how amazing our God is. Even then, as he was dealing with their sin, God's literally confronting Adam and Eve about their sin. Even in the midst of that, our God promises rescue and redemption. He says to Eve that that redeemer, that rescuer is going to be born through her. What an incredible moment. God's literally still dealing with their sin. And he says, but don't worry. I'm going to send a rescuer. And incredibly, even though you are the ones that sinned, it's going to be through you, specifically Eve that humanity is rescued. In Matthew, we see an ordinary woman chosen and blessed to bring the true and better Adam, the savior, the rescuer of the world, into this world. And so the Old Testament points towards and promises the new. Take a look with me at Romans chapter five. For those of you new to the Bible, it's divided into, as I've been talking about, Old Testament and New Testament or Old Covenant and New Covenant. It's a story of Jesus has always existed, but this was Old Testament is Jesus before he took on human nature in addition to his God nature. And so it's before he's born. This is why it starts the gospel. This is why the stories of Jesus's birth start, kick off the New Testament because this is the fulfillment of all the promises. And so Old Testament is sometimes called Old Covenant and New Covenant. And so if you go to the New Covenant, New Testament, starts the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then the book of Acts, which is a continuation of Luke, and the book of Romans. That's where we're at. Romans chapter 5, verses 14 to 17 says this. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, 
even over those who did not sin in the likeness of Adam's transgression. He is a type of the coming one. This is why we say Jesus is the true and better Adam, because he's, Adam was a type of Jesus. Jesus is a type of Adam. But the gift is not like the trespass. For if by the one man's trespass or sin, so if by Adam's sin many died, how much more have the grace of God and the gift which comes through the grace of one man, Jesus Christ, overflowed to the many. And the gift is not like the one man's sin, because from one sin came the judgment, resulting in condemnation, but from many sins or trespasses came the gift, resulting in justification. If by one man's trespass death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive the overflow of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. In placing the Old and New Testaments in light of each other together, we can understand the cross. On the cross, Jesus, the Savior, Messiah, was enduring in his own body the penalty described by the holy law of God for the sin of mankind. The law condemns sin and demands the penalty for sin is death because the law must be fulfilled. If God were to not enact the punishment for breaking the law, having said this is going to be punishment and decides not to do it, then God isn't good. If God is wishy-washy, we talked about this before, if God is wishy-washy, then, then it's possible that God uh, isn't consistent. Then it's possible God makes mistakes and then he's not God. And so God must do what he says he does every single time. And so God created a punishment for rebellion against him. That's death. My time's not up yet. But if God had backed off that, it would have contradicted his holy nature. So God forgives us not because he's decided not to hold us accountable, but because Jesus has already been held accountable for our sins. I want to say that again. It's not that God has decided not to hold us accountable for our sin. It's that God has already held Jesus accountable for us. That was always God's plan for our rescue. Even in the garden, as God is Dealing with Adam and Eve's sin, like I said, he promises a rescue, a savior. Everything from that moment on in the Old Testament is about us understanding the depth of our need and our brokenness, that we could never pay God back, but also the depth of our rescuer and the one that has given us everything, how much he loves us and has sacrificed for us. The law was written so we could be protected by it, but also so that we could see in it that we could never fulfill it that we were never worthy enough. Everything points to Jesus. In fact, in Psalm 22, for instance, we find the literal, accurate description of what Jesus was going to endure on the cross hundreds of years before it actually happened to him. In verses 12 to 18, it says this, Psalm 22, 12 to 18, many bulls surround me, strong ones of Bashan encircle me. They open their mouths against me, lions mauling and roaring. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are disjointed. My heart is like wax melting within me. My strength is dried up like baked clay. My, stung, my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You put me into the dust of death, for dogs have surrounded me. A gang of evildoers has closed in on me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. People look and stare at me. They divide my garments among themselves, and they cast lots for my clothing. In the Old Testament, we see the promise that Messiah would be rejected and murdered and raised from the dead. We see the promise that the Gentiles, the, that's us, the non-Jewish people, would be included in Jesus' rescue plan. 
We see in the writings of the prophet Joel, the foretelling of the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit was given as our helper. All of it points to the coming of Jesus, the Messiah, and the kingdom of God he would come to establish. And so if you're taking notes today, this is our second observation for the day. Jesus is the fulfillment of the law through the cross. Jesus is the fulfillment of the law through the cross. And Jesus taking our punishment for us, the need for us to be punished has ultimately and completely been fulfilled. But he fulfills the law in more ways than that. And it's really helpful to understand what that means for us. Remember in today's reading, verses 18 and 19 that Bianca read, it says this, Jesus says, For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or one stroke of a letter will pass away from the law until all things are accomplished. Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commands and teaches others to do the same would be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Well, that leads me to a problem. Because what do I do about Old Testament verses like Leviticus 19.19? You are to keep my statutes. Do not crossbreed two different kinds of your livestock. Makes sense. Sow your field with two different kinds of seed. Okay. Or put a garment on made of two different kinds of material. Now, I'm all for getting rid of rayon, but I kind of I like stretchy jeans, you know? What about Leviticus 19, 27, and 28? You are not to cut off the hair at your sides of your head or mar the edge of your beard. You're not to make gashes on your bodies for the dead or put tattoo. Uh-oh. You're not to make gashes on your bodies for the dead or put tattoo marks on yourselves. I am the Lord. Okay. (laughs) First, let me point out something. The same section of scripture that says, thou shalt not have tattoos, which a lot of you, not you, a lot of people, Christians, have quoted at me, says, thou shalt not have sideburns. There are a lot of 70s Christians going to hell if that is still the case. (laughs) Right? So, how do we reconcile this with Jesus' words? The law given to Israel consisted of three parts. The moral law, the judicial law, and the ceremonial law. This is important for us to understand. The moral law, the judicial law, and the ceremonial law. The moral law consists of the Ten Commandments and the great moral principles that were laid down once and forever. The moral law does not go away. This is what Jesus established. The Ten Commandments, the great moral principles, once and forever. The judicial law was the legislative law given to the nation of Israel in their particular circumstances at that time. It dictated exactly how they were to um, order themselves and behavior and relationship with other people, with themselves, with other nations, in order to set themselves apart as the holy ones called out to be God's followers. It also protected them from sickness and a disease in worlds that knew nothing of, uh, of, of germs or anything like that, right? That you, you look at it and it's like, why can't you eat these certain types of animals? Why can't you eat these certain types of shellfish? We actually know that uh, there's certain types of years that these, these are actually deadly, right? And so they, they would have no idea about this, but God was protecting his people. And so the law 
the ceremonial law, then, finally, is, uh, is about the, the burnt offerings and sacrifices and all the ritual and ceremonial rules in connection with the worship in the temple and elsewhere. You have to be clean before you come in. There are certain things with ceremonial washing and ritual washing you have to make sure of. Uh, these things, all of them, were about how they worshiped God and making sure that they did it with respect and adoration and making sure that they were clean before they did it. It all pointed to Jesus. Now, all these things were temporary, prophecies in their own ways that pointed to how Jesus was going to redeem things and be the perfect and forever example of those. For instance, um, the idea of having to be clean before you come into worship points to Jesus being sinless before he becomes a sacrifice for us. Everything that God did showed what kind of savior we were going to need. And so all the rules, all the laws pointed to Jesus, the one that would be the fulfillment of all those things. Now, I want to talk about what fulfillment means. It's important to understand that fulfillment does not mean to complete or finish. It doesn't mean to add something that has already begun. The, the real meaning of fulfill means to carry out, to fulfill in the sense of giving full obedience to. Literally, to carry out everything that has been stated in the law of the prophets, another word might be to embody. And so if you look at all the rules about burnt offerings and ceremonial washing and the bread and the tabernacle, all of them are, are foreshadows. All of them are pictures. All of them are prophecies of what was going to be done fully and finally in Jesus. Jesus literally fulfilled, carried out, and brought to pass every single one of these prophecies and pictures. He is the high priest. He is the offering. He is the sacrifice. And he presented his blood in heaven so that the whole of the ceremonial law has been fulfilled in him. The ceremonial law, the sacrificial law, the judicial law has been fulfilled in Jesus. And so the moral law still applies to us, but the reason that these Old Testament things don't apply in the same way is because Jesus is the fulfillment of them. Now, fulfillment means embodiment, so it's important that we understand that. Jesus didn't come to get rid of the law, but to be the perfect fulfillment of it. So what about those verses regarding our conduct? Jesus said, all the law and the prophets can be summed up in two important commandments. The first is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, everything that you are. And the second, he said, is equal to it, to love your neighbor as yourself. Now, this idea of loving your neighbor isn't like, hey, I kind of tolerate my neighbor. I kind of like my neighbor. It means to love like yourself means, you know, when we do something wrong and we're like, well, I didn't mean it. They should just get over it. We give ourselves a sense of, of extra understanding, extra grace, extra tolerance. Well, they, they just don't get my intentions. It wasn't my intention to do that. But the moment somebody else offends or harms us, what do we jump to? Their intentions were bad. That's the first place we go is somebody's intentions against us when that's the first place we go to justify ourselves. And so to love our enemies, our neighbors as ourselves is to say, I extend the same kind of grace, the same kind of forgiveness, the same kind of understanding that I would extend to myself, I extend to you, even if you are my enemy. That is really hard to do. <laughs> so in Jesus, we're not, only required, we're not required to follow the ceremonial law or the judicial law because he's the embodiment of those. So those of you with sideburns can rest easy just like me with tattoos. What are the moral law, though? The moral law is completely contained in the two commands he tells us we must follow. The moral law is completely contained in loving God with all of us, 
all of ourselves and loving our neighbors as ourselves. If you're taking notes, this is our third and final observation for the day. Point number three, we are still under the law in Jesus. We are still under the law in Jesus. For those of you who are taking notes, I want you to, to cross out that word under in your note page right there. Cross out the word under, and I want you to write the words bound to. Bound to. The reason I'm making that distinction is that we aren't under the same law in the same way as when we, are, when we become apprentices of Jesus. God's law is absolute. It can never be changed, never even modified to the slightest extent. And Jesus says this is the case until the end of time when God restores all creation to its proper order. Until it's absolutely fulfilled down to the smallest detail, it will be in effect. In becoming the fulfillment of the law, Jesus brings about the fulfillment of the law in us. So we're bound to Jesus and bound to the same law, but instead of trying to fulfill it by our own actions and works, we already know that we can't do that. We fulfill it through the faith that we've been given in God. He gave us the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit gives us a love for Jesus and the power to obey him. The person who isn't apprentice of Jesus actually hates God and is not free from the penalty of breaking the law. Again, we already know we can't keep the law and we can't do anything to earn God's love or favor or forgiveness, but Jesus can. The Bible says that when we are found in Jesus, when we become apprentices of Jesus, it's like a book. Imagine a book. We are literally found inside the righteousness of Christ, that he envelops us and covers us so much that God sees his righteousness, not our own. The law was never meant to save us. And so God makes this promise through the prophet Jeremiah in Jeremiah 31, 33. It says this. Instead, this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days. Speaking of after the days when the Messiah comes, the Lord's declaration. I will put my teaching within them and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. We are no longer under the law in the sense that keeping the law is what saves us. Only Jesus can save us. But we are bound to the law in the sense that Jesus is the embodiment of that law. And if it hasn't passed away, then we are still subject to the commandments Jesus said are the summation of the law. In other words, Lord, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love others as yourself. The good news is that God has given us help to live it out. As we spend time with him, he continues to renew us day by day. He rescues us. He redeems us. If we are apprentices of Jesus, we've been saved through Jesus' death on the cross, his resurrection, and the continued relationship with him. And so we are being saved by the daily renewing of our minds and hearts and the Holy Spirit shaping us and changing us day by day. And one day, God will complete his restoration project and we will finally and completely be restored in him. We have been saved. We are being saved and we will be saved and we will be the perfect reflections of the living loving God. See, this is all the gospel, that God himself has come to rescue and renew all creation through the person and work of Jesus. There is no rescue and renewal outside of the person and the work of Jesus. This is our hope as we become apprentices to Jesus. And so if you want to know more what it means to apprentice Jesus, if you want to know more about being baptized, if you want to know more about who he is even or, or who we are as a church as we're striving to be apprentices of Jesus. We'd love if you go to the next steps table after service or follow the link for those of you online that admin posts. We'd love to spend some time with you and pray with you. So let's pray together now. Father, thank you for all that you have done. You are a gracious and loving God. 
I thank you that you took your wrath and as hard as it is, it poured it out on your son in our stead. How undeserving we are and yet how merciful and good and wonderful you are. Jesus, thank you for bearing that, for taking that on, for being obedient even to the point of death. What an incredible, incredible savior, rescuer you are. We need you desperately. Help us to understand and know what it means to follow you, to love you to the place where we're willing to be obedient, even if it means sacrificing our reputation or what we want, to give up control to you. Lord, so often I don't want to do that. Help us, Lord. We believe. Help us in our unbelief. We trust you and love you. In your holy name, Jesus. Amen.